0: Hey everybody and welcome to the new episode of the Triathlete Podcast. I'm your host Ram and today I have a very special guest on the show, Lance Carter. I got introduced to Lance through a coach for my open swim session and I'm really excited to have him here today because he's been deeply entrenched in the triathlon system for a long time and is currently a a coach in the Seattle area so look forward to learning a lot from him about you know how we can be better triathletes in our lives. So Lance uh, welcome to the show would you like to start by introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, as you mentioned, I've been been at it a long time. I did my first triathlon in 1993. Uh, that led to uh, wanting to open my own running store, so moving to Seattle and went to work at Super Jock and Joe with really the, the main idea of using that as an apprenticeship to learn everything I needed to know about running a running store took me, um, took me 10 years to finally open up my own running store with some friends over in Kirkland. And um, I'm actually back working at super jock and Jill part-time right now, but it was at super jock and Jill that customers would come in and just start peppering me with questions about triathlon. Cause I was, you know, one of the only people they knew that was doing it before you knew it, I was coaching people just sort of for free and, you know, kind of figuring out what I was doing. Uh, that led to coaching for 20 years for team and training, a fundraising group that does uh, endurance events. And then that led to, along the way, I ended up at Blue 70, who makes wetsuits. And uh, now I am the head wetsuit designer for Blue 70. So I know a lot about wetsuits. I know a lot about swimming. I know a lot about coaching swimming, a lot about triathlons. Um, All that is to say, I guess, is that I'm old.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So here's a question for you. When you graduated from school, did you know wetsuit designer was a career?
1: No. And if I did, I'll I'll tell you what, if if I, if I have never had more fun in any job that I've done, and I've always said selling shoes is one of the funnest things, the most fun things that I've ever done in my life. And I mean it. And when the day comes when I no longer need money, you're going to find me working in a running store. I might be like 80 years old. And if they'll have me, I'll still be there, you know, working two days a week, fitting people running shoes because I love it. (laughs) But designing products, um, the creativity allows me and then solving problems, because mainly what I do is I listen to the complaints of our customers. And then I go about figuring out how to fix product or make it better. If I had known that, I straight away in college, I would have done everything that I needed to do to become a product designer. And work for, you know, probably somebody like Nike or Patagonia or, you know, some brand. Interesting. Um, Yeah. It might be too late to go back and start over, though I've thought about it. You know, I was like, man, well, maybe I just go back and start over again. But, um, (laughs) you know, I already get to do the product design now. So,
0: yeah. Very cool. Um, You know, one of the things that struck me about your story when you and I were catching up uh, before the show was how uh, athletics and fitness has Constantly shaped your life, and I think that's a theme that we can certainly share with with everybody today. Uh, I'd like to go into it through the through the course of the show. Why don't we start right at the beginning? Uh, how did you end up with your first triathlon? Yeah,
1: I, I really didn't even know what triathlon was. Um, I was 22 years old. I was I was dealing with some fairly serious depression, and uh, I had read the book Unlimited Power by Anthony Robbins. And there was a, a chapter and a quote that really stuck with me, which I mean, I'll butcher the quote, but it was something like, um, people are not lazy, they just have impotent dreams. That is, um, you know, dreams and goals that don't inspire themselves. And then in the chapter, was talking about to create massive action, you have to create massive goals. And if you could find some massive goal that was inspiring enough to you, it would motivate you. So I was on the lookout for something, you know, along those lines and it, I didn't, I didn't know what it was and I was getting ready to go to work. I was working as a busboy at a Mexican restaurant in Chico called Tres Hombres. And uh, as always, when I'm getting ready for work, I like to throw some sports on the TV, you know, and this is 1992. So this is back when there was ABC, NBC and CBS, right? So no streaming, you couldn't, you know, there was no really choices. So I'm flipping through those three channels and nothing's on except there's this, Bike race, I think what it is, it's on. So I start watching it, you know, kind of getting ready, brushing my teeth, doing my hair, all that good stuff, and then I just get hooked in. And it's the Ironman triathlon. I think it was on NBC Sports. You know, I see people biking on the Queen K, and then they cut to people running, and then as the show gets towards the end, that for those people who watched it, they get into the you know the regular everyday people who are trying to beat the midnight deadline, and they're walking and they're talking to themselves, and and I was just instantly hooked. And at that point in time, I was like, this is it, because I loved being athletic. You know, although at, the, at that time, I only ran two miles to stay in shape for basketball. The only bike I had was a, a mountain bike, which got me to class and back. And um, I thought I knew how to swim. So that was it. I'm like, I'm doing Ironman. I'm doing Ironman Hawaii. I'm doing, you know, I'm going to do an Ironman. That was the massive goal. And it did lead me to take all these actions. So I found in um, Santa Rosa, California, they had a race called Vine Man, and it was in July of twenty or of nineteen ninety three. So I'm like, perfect. There's there's my Iron Man that I you know I put this intention out there. So I'm going to sign up for that. Really didn't know. The only thing I knew was that there was a marathon at the end of it, right? And I'm like, well, I know what a marathon is. So I guess I better start training. So I start riding my you know crappy mountain bike. Um, start running a little bit more go down to fleet feet uh to to buy triathlete magazine and and talk to the owner and see what i could figure out and then at that it was like that was like november december so coming in january we're going to start the winter quarter and i'm flipping through the syllabus at chico state and there's a course called triathlon 101 and i'm like this is divine intervention right this is perfect sign up for that class uh first first class was a lecture And then the second class was a swim workout. So I'm like, this is great. So instructor says, all right, everybody just get in there and warm up. So I start swimming, you know, my head's out of the water. I don't, I don't know how to breathe, but I think I know how to swim. And then I I see the instructor, like kind of running fast down the, down the side of the pool meets me at the other end. So this is only one length of the pool. And she's like, she stops me and she's like, um, you know, that that the prerequisite for this class was that you said you knew how to swim. Right. And I'm like, yeah because you know i mean i I think i know how to swim and um you know clearly i don't because i'm not putting my face in the water and she's like i'll let you stay in the class if you promise me to go to this master's workout at least two times a week and i was like fantastic i had no idea what masters was but if she was going to let me stay in the class then i was all in so fortunately for me um the master's coach was phenomenal and he would just give me one thing to work on you know to start with lowering my head or slowing down my kick and I'd work on it for a couple of weeks. And then when he would see that I had accomplished that, he would give me the next thing. And just by going to, you know, like six months of, of his master's workouts, I became, you know, I did my first Ironman in an hour and 10 minute swim, which is really good. And, you know, now I can regularly do a 70.3 under 30 minutes. And I've done uh, most of my Ironmans between 59 and 100 or a minute, hour, three minutes. So to me, for anybody who can swim 25 yards without sticking their head in the water, basically doing like a head high crawl, you know, because I didn't know how to breathe to an hour Ironman. just to me, it goes to show you that if you apply yourself in the world of swimming, because it's it's so skill based and it's so thought based that anyone can become, you know, a really good swimmer because there's nothing special about me. I didn't grow up on a swim team, obviously, Um, but thankfully she let me stay in the class, you know, and, and it was a great class. And, uh, I went on to do that full Ironman, even though, you know, I, I, I had, I knowing now I would have been like, there's no way you should be doing this race. Cause the longest bike ride I had done was 80 miles longest run. I think I'd done might've been like 16 miles. Um, you know, and the, and the, and the bike ride that I did, I totally bonked, um, like the last 15 miles on the way back to town, because I didn't I didn't eat any food all day, you know I didn't know you're supposed to eat food, and I mean I'm going like six miles an hour for the last 15 miles, you know, and it was just painful.
0: Um, oh man! But I made it wow. through the race, and that changed. That's my amazing! So, you finished, man. Uh, yeah. That's the that's the spirit for the show. So thanks so much for sharing that. I mean, signing up for your first Ironman without knowing how to swim, without knowing what your nutrition's like. I mean, I guess there's one person in the world who's crazier than I am. So Kudos to you. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, you know, that's uh, the ignorance is bliss sort of thing. I you guess don't know so, yeah. it,
0: you don't know. Yeah, what you don't know won't hurt you. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, it does hurt if you're doing an Iron Man, but yeah. <laughs> um, but interesting. So uh, you mentioned that you kind of signed into, signed up for it after having uh, an episode of depression. So if you look at sort of where you started that emotional journey and where you ended it at the, at the, at the Iron Man finish line, how did that feel?
1: That oh, was amazing. When I when I talk about it now, I still get goosebumps, but it completely changed my life because, you know, going into it, I, I had rather low expectations of, of what, you know, that I thought I could do. And when I crossed that finish line, it it totally blew my mind about what I was capable of. And I remember it was like a week later, I started thinking about, well, now that I've done that, you know, what else could I do? And rather quickly, you know, because I got so much out of going to the Fleet Feet in Chico, I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, I see this guy behind the counter and he's, he's older, you know, in 40s probably, but of course then I probably thought he was, you know, super old, but, um, you know, he's making a living. He's got this running store and he's helping people. And, you know, he had the guy at Fleet Feet actually happened to be the same guy who coached the master swimming. So I was like, man, this is, that's what I want to be when I grow up, you know? And so how do I open up a running store? And that, that's what led me to wanting to open up a running store. And, and like I said, you know, it it took, uh, so 2004 is when I opened it with a couple of friends. So it took, uh, 10 years. Um, but you know, I just got to stay on that path Um, and that, and that really changed the entire trajectory of my life completely unexpected. You know, I had, I had no, it's just one thing led to another. Um, Yeah.
0: Interesting. So the transformation, do you feel it was more, you didn't know what you were physically capable of? You didn't know what you were mentally capable of? All of the above. Um,
1: It was more mental, you know, I think. I mean, certainly physically, like doing an Ironman is, you know, that's a long day. Um, But it was more just, you know, the limitations on myself mentally. Like I never Mm -hmm. would have thought that, you know, I could open my own running store. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, once I had that, like, hey, what else am I capable of? You know, I just started focusing on it. And like a lot of things in life, when you start focusing on it, things come your way. Um yep. so yeah, it was uh interesting, definitely a definite blessing.
0: Very interesting. You know, the passion with which you speak about selling shoes or running your own store rather, uh, it reminds me of the book Shoe Dog. Uh beautiful oh, book. A beautiful
1: night one. Yeah, I haven't read that yeah. one. I should read it. Uh yeah, uh, people good. People often, you know, just refer to me as a shoe dog, but I think that's just common. If like you sell shoes for uh, 20 years, there's like, well, you you know, but anybody that I work with, we're all the same. We're all just a bunch of shoe geeks, you know, a new shoe comes in and you've never seen such an animated conversation. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Cool. So fast forward, you start your own running store. Congrats on that. I mean, amazing to own own your own business for so long. How did that get you into triathlon coaching?
1: Yeah, so I actually got started in triathlon coaching well before um I opened my own store. So okay. it was at Super Jock and Jill where it was just customers would come in and you know, again, this is 1994, 1995, so triathlon wasn't, you know, then what it is now. Back then, you know, you, you had to really search for somebody who had done a triathlon. And so customers would come in and they would say, "Hey, I heard you did a triathlon and I'm doing the Seafair, like, you know, what do I need to do?" And, you know, I was and then, of course, at the beginning, I'm like, well, who am I to tell you what to do? Like, I don't know anything. But then you you kind of realize, well, I guess I've done now, you know, a couple of years with the triathlon. So I guess I do know something, you know, and so I would just say, well, this is what I've done and this is what's worked for me. This is what didn't work for me. Um, you know, initially it was just giving advice. And then and then um, for better or worse, when you give somebody advice, you're like, hey, I need I need you to coach me. <laughs> and you're like, I don't have time for that. And then, you know, you're next thing you know, you're writing workouts on Excel and and uh, printing them out and giving to them. And, uh, you know, this is way before training peaks and way before any software platforms. Um, and so you're just talking to them on the phone twice a week. Well, how did that feel? You know, what that you know what and just going back and forth. Um, and then it was around 2000 or 2001 that team in training uh, was looking for some line coaches to put in their first ever triathlon program because I started off as a marathon program. So uh, myself and my friend Wade, who also happened to be one of the people that opened the running store with me, we were the first two coaches to put in the team and training triathlon program. And that was a little bit daunting because we had to create the entire program. You know, we had to create everything. We had to find a pool to swim in and coach people, um, make make the full schedule. Um, so that led to team and training, which, you know, really got me into coaching not really full-time, but you know, a lot of my work. And then, um, uh, sorry, my dog's over here chewing on a toy. Uh, no no problem. problem. so that got me into team and training. And then, um, really like when we opened everyday athlete, I was, I was always coaching about five people, um, just sort of for fun, you know, and then to keep me involved. And it's a really great way of giving back. And it's always great to see that people go through that same transition, people who never thought they could do a 5K or a sprint triathlon, and then they finish and they're just over the moon and and see how they too went through that same transformation of, you know, what more am I capable of? So that's, that's, what's always kept me coming back. And then it wasn't until um, about six months ago that I decided that I wanted to create a living with more of a uh, remote work opportunity, so I gave up a large part of my job at Blue seventy to go remote. so I still do some of the the design work, mostly the wetsuits and you know a few other products but then um I started coaching more full time so that's what I'm doing now for the last couple of months. I've been coaching you know the part time work at blue seventy and then twenty thirty hours a week of coaching uh so that's that's great. And it's, and it's really cool now I to coach, you know, more athletes, because uh, that's definitely a passion of mine. So I think that's Amazing, uh, man. the, the I mean,
0: arc. I mean, the story, your arc is so inspiring at so many levels, because, you know, as you know, growing up, you always hear people say, you know, follow your passion, and it'll lead to good things. And I guess you're an example of it, in some sense, because you mm-hmm. kind of organically stumbled into it, maybe initially, but, it enjoyed it so much and it meant so much to you that you've been able to shape a career out of it so i mean that's inspiring in its own right in its own way i think uh, to yeah see that's true there.
1: though there, there were some very lean times when we owned our own running store that i would i would probably <laughs> say be careful about following your own passion <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah that's I mean, true. that is true but there are you know there are a lot of hard times along the way
0: that is true very true cool so as a coach i mean i'd love to pick your brain a little yeah. bit about you know what do you see in the, in the field nowadays right so i mean i've been a beginner um, you know first up as a beginner how should i set my goals how should i measure my progress
1: you know the one thing about the great about being a beginner especially a beginning runner or beginning cyclist is for a couple of years you get better just by doing the sport you know i remember back then every time i do a 5k i would set a new personal record, a new PR. And I was so stoked, you know, and then a couple of years go by and all of a sudden it's not so easy anymore. Uh, but you know, if, for anybody that's out there, that's in that place where they just got, a, got started and they run their first 5k. I mean, I remember the time, the first time I ran five miles and I remember the first time I ran eight miles, I couldn't believe that I had actually just ran eight miles, you know, or, and so to over those years, you just get faster. So I think initially for the beginner, what I would look at is consistency. Is just the more you're consistent, the better you're going to get, and you really don't even need to track that much or worry about that much. You know, when you go through all the coaching seminars, there's three main things that affect a person's fitness. One is frequency, which is the amount of time that you work out per week. You know, so if you do run twice a week, that's frequency. You could you could improve your fitness by running three times a week or four times a week. Um, The other is intensity. So if you're doing everything at a slow pace versus doing some speed work, right, if you change your intensity, that'll improve somebody's fitness. And then the other is duration. So if you just start running 20 minutes, you know, three times a week, an easy way to improve your fitness is to run 30 minutes three times a week. So if you take those three variables, the first two variables that most beginners really want to work with are... um the frequency and the duration, but they probably want to leave the intensity for later on, because if you do the intensity that can lead to injury. So Mm -hmm. initially, if you just work on, can I work out more days per week, you know, work on your frequency and, or can I improve the duration? So if the longest run you've ever done is 20 minutes, ask yourself, can you go 25 minutes? And can you go 30 minutes? And as you do that, your fitness will rapidly increase. And then, you know, for better or worse, you get to that point where you're like, well, now I'm up to an hour and now it really doesn't feel like it. So now you got to run an hour and 15 minutes. And, you know, anybody who's ever trained for like a half marathon or a marathon and you're doing those long runs and you think, and then you start, when you start saying, oh, it's only eight miles, you know, you know, you come a long way, right? We all, we all have those friends like training for a marathon, like, ah, it's only 14 miles today. But, you know, if you're just starting like only 14 miles, what are you like? What are you crazy? Uh, but it's yeah. all relative, right? So I think initially for a beginner, I would say focus on duration and or focus on frequency. But I would leave intensity alone until you plateau. Once you start no longer hitting your PRs, you know, whether it's a triathlon or a 5K, um, that's that's when you've plateaued and that's when you not, need to start doing some intensity
0: work. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. And you mentioned that, you know, tracking and measurement is probably not that important early in the life cycle, but that world is really confusing. I mean, when I started training, I heard about so many weird metrics like VO2 max, S-Wolf, and then there, of course, the regular body health metrics like BMI and fat percentage and what what else? I mean, I'm sure I'm not measuring like a hundred other things. I mean, now you can measure your sleep quality. So yeah. yeah. What do you advocate, man?
1: You know, initially, unless you're a total data geek in that that turns you on and you like to read about that for enjoyment, I would say go for it. But if you're not that person, I just wouldn't worry about it because Mm -hmm. knowing your VO2 max, even if you know your VO2 max, it's not going to change who you are as an athlete. It's not going to change what you can do as an athlete. You know, what's going to change is doing the work. And then, you know, as you do the work, your VO2 max will change. But even, even going and getting that, tested you know paying two hundred dollars to find out what your vo2 max is it's still like it doesn't really matter you know so and then like the s wolf is for swimming you know it's like your it's like your golf score right and so that can be helpful um though I, I find that when people concentrate on too much they actually mess up their stroke so for the most part i would say all those things unless you're really into data and you're really into it i would just try to ignore it. Um, mm-hmm. The main thing is be consistent. So if if anything I would recommend, I would recommend keeping a training log, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I used to do mine by hand. I used to print one out on Excel and I had a binder and I'd fill it out every day. And now, of course, most people use training peaks or some other platform. But I look at my training peaks every day, just as I did when I had a training log, because it really uh, helps with accountability. And so when you go to your training log and you look at it and go, I didn't work out today. And you got three days in a row, you know, it's a reminder to be like, Hey, get back in there and do some workout or you're looking at your training log and you say, well, I see that I'm only swimming once a week, but I'm really biking and running and I got this triathlon come up. So I need to start swimming twice a week. So I would recommend just, just keeping a log, um, and make notes, you know, make notes about how you felt on a workout, make notes about what workout you did, um, the great thing about like using a schedule or having a workout is that if you do a race, say you do the Seafair triathlon and then um, next year you want to do the same race well, you can go back and you can look at your schedule, especially if you use something like a a software platform, like training peaks, it has it all in there and you can say, Oh, this is what I did and this is the race that I had. So if I want to get a little better, how can I change those workouts you know, what went well, what didn't went Well, a lot of times you go back and you look at your training log and there's a two week block where life got in the way and you didn't do anything, you know, or you see those blocks where you really had, um, you know, solid workouts five, six days a week. And you also see that your fitness got really, you know, better. So training logs are excellent for um, future coaching of yourself or, you know, working with a coach. Um, so keeping a training log, I'd say is probably one of the best things you could do at, yeah. for any athlete um and first they're easy now
0: basics yeah
1: you know especially now yeah. most people have a garmin you know and your garmin will auto sync to training peaks so you don't even really have to do anything except that when the link goes down like once a week you know you got to go in there and fix it
0: <laughs> interesting i mean yeah that sounds like a very simple first principles basic approach which pretty much anybody can do i mean don't need to get lost in the noise of what tech to use and what measure what metric to use just go with what feels right and longer, and I, I feel I like
1: you kind of mentioned it like so you get you get bogged down in that stuff you know and you're so caught up in your s wolf or your vo2 max that you now you're not exercising and and that's that's worth yeah. you know yeah. so get the get the work in first um yeah, yeah and you know it, it, a lot of ways as athletes we really like to make things complicated and confusing um and then oftentimes as coaches we have to try to really explain things to simplify things to people because that at the end of the day, it's really the simple stuff, but it's a, it's a tricky cycle. And, you know, the whole coaching industry, you know, I think oftentimes the coaching industry likes to make it seem maybe a little more complicated than it is because if you can make the athlete feel like they don't know what they're doing, they probably feel like they need to hire a coach more. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think in a lot of ways we would be doing people a, a service if we
0: simplified things. Got it. I mean, on that note, do you see any mistakes that beginners typically make?
1: Um, The biggest mistake I see like with beginners uh, for cycling and even for running is their cadence is really low, especially with cycling. I'll see people out there riding and their cadence is like 60, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, I try to work with them to and they oftentimes beginners don't know how to change gears on a bike. You know, and so they're riding around like in the Seattle area, say Mercer Island, where there's a lot of hills and they're using one gear and their legs are either going really fast or their legs are going really slow. So learning how your gears make your bike go faster or slower and then using your cadence to do that, I think is a big thing for cycling. Do see it a bit with running as well. Um, I think the biggest mistake with swimming is people apply what works in running and biking, which is just doing more makes you more fit. And makes you faster. You know, when you're starting off as a runner, again, just going from 20 minutes to 40 minutes, you've just doubled your fitness, you know, and you, if you do a 5k, like every eight weeks, when you just start, you'll see that 5k drop, you know, your times will drop dramatically over a six, eight month period, just be, be by doing it more. Unfortunately with swimming, because it's so skill-based, the more you swim with poor form, the more you just reinforce poor motor patterns Mm -hmm. and, and that, and those are harder to undo. Um, so with swimming, I would say you do want to get in the pool and swim, but you do also want to either watch some videos, you know, or read some books. Um, one of my favorite swim videos is by the coach, David Marsh. I think he's at the university of San Diego right now. He used to be the university of Auburn coach, but, um, championship video products they they used to do it as a dvd and now now you can just you know do it as a downloaded video and it's like 40 bucks um but that's that's a fantastic video to watch there's actually i think you can even i found a i found like a youtube recording of it you know um so interesting 40 minutes but but he you know he's an elite level coach and and he talks about just basic swim thing techniques you know, and, and as beginners, we all do the same five mistakes. Our mistakes. head is too high. We're kicking incorrectly because we're kicking, bending our knee. We're not kicking from our hip. You know, so most triathletes, if you just get them to stop kicking, they swim faster because their kick is making them go slower and it's dragging them underwater, right? It's just like, yeah, I mean, you know, you can talk to any any new triathlete and say your kick is making you slower and they raise their hand. They're like, yep, that was me. Because really the word kick is probably the wrong word. Cause when you say kick to somebody say, show me the kicking motion. The first thing you do is you bend your knee, like you're going to kick a ball. And in swimming, the more you bend your knee, the more it drags you under the water and the more it makes you go slow because the kick comes from the hip. So really, you know, flutter, I don't, whoever invented it should, you know, just didn't know any better, but they should have used a different word than kicking. And maybe people wouldn't, you know, bend their knee so much, but you know, Put some uh, neoprene shorts on somebody, put, put a pool buoy on somebody, put a wetsuit on a beginning swimmer, and they automatically become more efficient, which is to say faster with less effort, you know, because their body, they fix their body position. So fixing body position and the head has a lot to do with that. You know, beginners tend to lift their head up too much, which pushes their hips down. So if you can just get them to bring their head down into more of a neutral position, their back end will come up. If you get their back end to come up, there'll be less drag in the water. So Mm -hmm. those those are like two of the first things that you know beginners can fix. Um, And there's there's all there's just like simple things, but you know they're simple in in uh, understanding, but they're not simple in in putting them into practice.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that was one of the things that kind of struck me about swimming as well, which is understanding the what is intellectually right Mm -hmm. is easy, but then understanding how that feels physically in the water applying there's it big, yeah yeah there's a big difference and
1: and as uh, you and somebody, i were yeah. talking about earlier you know like videotaping yourself swimming is eye-opening because yeah every person who's ever watched themselves swim will be like oh i didn't think i was doing that or i think my head position's fine and then they look at it and it's how you know it's all the way out of the water or or yeah. like I'm not crossing over with my arms, and then you see it, and you're like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of like uh, you know cool. you can't you can't uh, you, you can't unsee yourself yeah. swimming.
0: Yeah. So what does the future hold for you? Are you still doing triathlons, or are you mostly into coaching and the wetsuit design now? Yeah. Um, I I have I'm dealing
1: with a torn meniscus and uh, lack of knee cartilage, which is a degenerative injury. You know, not oh, to man. say that everybody who runs for 25 years, will have it. It's just, you know, I have it. Um, mm-hmm. So the doctors have told me, you know, knee surgery is in my future, which will allow me to swim and cycle, uh, just not run. But I, I took about a year off from running, trying to rehab my knee. And like today I ran two and a half miles, which is a huge victory for me. I um, you know. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's funny to think like, you know, I've run nine marathons by themselves. I've done nine Ironman triathlons. And, and to oh. think that, you know, two and a half miles is a victory for me, but it's a victory for me, you know? And so it is. I'm really happy for that. Congratulations, I, man. I hope that I'll do another triathlon again. I always think it's ironic because I probably should do an Ironman or a half Ironman in the sense that even the races that I've done well, I've ended up walking a lot, you know, so I could be one of those people that just crushes the bike and then walks for six and a half hours, you know, and still have a <laughs> decent time um but after doing that for enough times you know i'm not sure i want to be back out there so
0: i don't know we'll see cool cool well great i think that's a good note to end the conversation on uh thanks so much for all the tips and tricks that you shared with us and thanks for sharing you know your personal story of how fitness turned turned your life around i think it's super touching and you know it's surprising at some level but not i guess uh how many people say that you know, physical activity and fitness help them turn their lives around. It's it's deeply entrenched in how we think about ourselves and our own identity and our own mental capacity, I guess. And I guess your example today kind of, sh- you know, reinforced that for me. So thanks so much for sharing. Um, All right. And uh, see you around the. Thanks for having me on. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.